started here on the second teaching for So Long Self, and my prayer has been all along, and I'm praying for you each week, that God is going to be your teacher. You know, He is your teacher. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. And I mentioned to you in one of the lessons this past week, if you, if you did your lessons, you saw where I mentioned that Romans 6 really starts out with a bang, and it just keeps banging, you know. Personally, in writing, I would, I would prefer to ease in a little slower, you know, but really it doesn't. It just starts out banging and it keeps on banging and it's going to do that as it causes ourselves, us to look at ourselves from the very, very beginning, really intensely. But, you know, I'm excited about this week's lesson because we're going to take a little bit of a different, actually a lot different focus, whereas last week the focus was really on ourselves and if you look at that for too long, you can get kind of depressed, <laughs> and it, it's a little upsetting, but, and you can feel pretty hopeless, but this week what we're going to do is move on to something a whole lot greater, because we're going to be looking at Jesus himself. And our hope is that as we move through the message tonight, we're literally going to be turning our eyes upon Jesus. We just did that in some of the songs that we sang together, but turning our eyes upon Jesus, because last week we wanted Jesus to reveal some things about ourselves. I mean, that was, that was the point of all those questions, but this week we want him to reveal some things to us about himself. So I want to pray and just ask his presence to do that among us. God, thank you for being our teacher. Thank you for looking at us and seeing what we need to understand and seeing what we need to know. And we're all here and we're all in different places in our walk with you. And yet, Lord, you can come in through your word and you can speak to us and you can teach, God. So we invite you here to do that tonight, Lord. And we invite you here to reveal things about yourself to us, God. We want to know you. And we really believe that the treasure of laying down ourself and being resurrected to life lies within the person of Christ because you did it. And so, God, we want to follow in your example. And so tonight, Lord, I just pray that you would be our teacher and you would reveal things to us about yourself. Just put a blessing on every person doing this study and seeking you in your word this week in Romans 6, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I told you last week that I took my daughter to college a few weeks ago, and it's probably just going to be a theme throughout this study. I'll probably talk about it a lot because it's just what I'm, what I'm going through. And even though I'm very excited about the school that she's at in Florida, and we know that that is exactly where God wants her to be, and she's loving it there and all of that, one of the reasons it's very challenging for me is because I feel like as a family, we have moved to a different place and we're never going to get to go back to the other place again. And that's just kind of a grieving process. Now, I know the Lord's going to get me through it, and, and he's, he's been so gracious and is meeting me where I'm at and taking me through it, but that's kind of how I feel. But a few days ago, I was having a conversation with her, and I'm so thankful for, you know, computers and cell phones and texting and all those things because I can, you know, touch base, and, and I probably shouldn't say this for all the world to hear, but, uh, you know, stalker on Facebook and those kind of things too, you know, but I'm so thankful for all that stuff. But we were having a conversation, actually talking on the phone the other day, and a subject came up that I was clearly misinformed about, and I don't really know when you cross that line either where they know more than you or they think that they know more than you, but uh, somehow we've gotten to that place as well. And something came up, and as we were talking about it, it was pretty apparent that I didn't know what she was talking about, the term that she was using. And she got this tone with me, and she said, Now, Mom, do you not understand that? Let me explain it to you. 
you know? And so she started and went on and, and explained. And in other words, what she was saying to me was, how could you not know that, Mom? Come on, how could you not know that? Now, in reality, what I didn't know was a term that her generation's culture uses for something. And I know, she doesn't know this yet, but that's going to change with the times anyway. So it doesn't really matter if I know it or not. And, and that's, that's what I didn't know. But she just couldn't believe that I didn't know that. And so she talked to me like that and said, now, Mom, how could you know, not know that? Let me explain it to you. Well, one of the things, even though that is going to change with the times, God's truth is not going to change with the times. And we need to know what his truth says. And so it's kind of interesting to me as that had happened just this week and I get going on memorizing verses 3 and 4 that it begins with a phrase, or do you not know? (laughs) That's what verse 3 begins with in the version that I'm uh, memorizing from and teaching from, or do you not know? And it's a question that's implying if you're a believer... If you've received the gospel, you should know what I'm getting ready to say here. Don't you know this? Now, what is it he's saying that we should actually know? Well, let's look at verse 3 and see what it says. He says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? That's what he's saying everybody should understand. He's saying, don't you know that everybody who has been baptized into Christ Jesus has been baptized into his death? And then verse 4 goes on to describe and explain that even further. And there's a lot for us to see. And tonight, we're just going to work our way through verses 3 and verses 4. And literally, we're going to do it phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word, just to pull out some of the things that we're going to see in these two verses. So let's just jump right in here, and we're going to look at that first question. He says, or do you not know? Paul is implying to these people that he's speaking to, that they should know. (laughs) This is something that they should know. Believers should understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And he's saying having a relationship with Jesus means that you've been baptized into his death. Now, if you don't really know what that means, don't feel bad, because there was a time in Paul's life where he didn't know what it meant either. (laughs) If you remember, God had to get his attention on a road and it literally had to pretty much zap him in the head and say, look, and make him go blind for a while so God could pull him aside somewhere and teach him for three years, actually. So Paul didn't know either. So everybody is at a place of ignorance at some point. So it's okay if we don't know, but now that we know that we're supposed to know, we need to grab a hold of this stuff. And the word that he uses here for know, when he says, or do you not know, that word in the Greek is this word, A-G-N-O-E-O. A-G-N-O-E-O, and that word is going to be in the notes, so don't don't stress if you you didn't get that down. But basically what it is saying is, how can you be ignorant of this that I'm telling you? This thing that I'm saying, how can you not know this? How can you be in error or ignorant of this is what that word means. Now, as we get started with this whole idea of knowing, I just kind of want to share with you personally. There were a lot of years as a Christian in my life that I didn't know many of the things that I should have known. And it wasn't for lack of being around the information either. You know, I grew up in church. I was there every time the doors were open. As a a teenager in youth group, I wanted to be there. I mean, I went on every trip. I went to every conference. I went away to Bible college. I married a pastor. I graduated with honors from the Bible college. I mean, I should have had some knowing in me, but I didn't know. (laughs) Now, when I say that I didn't know, what do I really mean by that? I think to explain that, What I need to do is start and tell you what I did know, and and this will help us understand. I did know that Jesus had died for my sins. I knew that. 
I did know that he resurrected and that if I was a Christian, I would go to heaven. I knew that. I knew a lot of Bible stories. I mean, I could tell them to you. I had probably done some skits about them and, you know, all those kinds of things and colored many a picture about Bible stories, those things. Uh, I knew some basic Bible verses even. I knew John 3.16. I could quote that for you. I knew Philippians 4.13 that said, you know, that uh, I can do everything through him who strengthens me. I knew Psalm 23. But you know what? Something hit me this morning. I was thinking about this. I was listening to a song as I was having my prayer walk time. And the words to Psalm 23 were being sung. And it said, surely goodness and mercy. And it took me back to how ignorant I was of Psalm 23, even though I could quote it to you. Because when I was younger, I think I was probably about 30 years old before it ever hurt, hit me that surely they were saying certainly goodness and mercy. I was like in my mind just totally disengaged with it. And it was like surely was something, goodness was something, and mercy in my mind. I mean, that's how disengaged I was with that passage, even though I could quote it to you. So that shows you how much I really, really didn't know. That's pretty embarrassing. But I knew some scriptures in James as well, you know, about the tongue. Because I had had some struggles with, you know, saying a lot of things that I shouldn't have said. And so my mom probably had sat me down and talked to me about the book of James. You know, But that's basically what I knew. You know, and for all that invested time till I was about 26, 27 years old, that's pretty sad, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, because I didn't really know much. See, there was a whole lot that I didn't know. I didn't know that God had a whole story in this Bible that started at the beginning and goes through to the end. That's a story of his redemption and all those Bible stories that I knew wove together into one story. I had no clue about that. I didn't understand the person of Christ, how he literally is our redeemer. I mean, I sung that word in songs, but I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know how his death had set me free from so many things. I didn't really even know what it meant to be a Christian, that it meant that God had been born again in me. I really didn't know that. I didn't know about the gift of the Holy Spirit. When I was growing up, we didn't talk about that much. And I really had never been taught much about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what eternal life really meant. I just thought it meant heaven. I had no idea that it had any bearing on my days right now. I didn't know what it meant when people said that the Bible was the living word of God. I knew it was a special book. When I was a little girl, I had been taught you never set anything on top of the Bible. In fact, somebody told me one time that every time you set something on top of the Bible, God will take one of the words out and you won't be able to to know what it said. (laughs) And that was so wrong, you know? But that, I knew it was special, but I had no idea how this thing could work and move in your life. There was so much that I didn't know. And see, I might have had some vague general ideas about these things. Like I knew the lingo, I knew the words, I would sing them in songs, those kind of things. But I personally could not have sat down with somebody and articulated in any way a conversation from a biblical standpoint about those things that I just was talking to you about. And they really weren't translating into how I was living either. Because if you don't know, you don't have the right information. And then the right information is not going to translate into your choices that you're making for life. Now, back in those days of ignorance, if somebody had walked up to me and said, or do you not know? If I was honest, I would have had to said, no, I really don't know. But the problem is a lot of times we're not honest because we want to appear and we feel like, and sometimes we create environments where we make people feel like everybody should know. But a lot of times we really don't know. And we want to know. And so hopefully the Lord's going to use this time, even as we go through this passage, maybe to take some of us, and myself included, back to some of the basics that we should have grabbed a hold of a long time ago, but somehow we just missed or got really 
you know, wrong information like what I just shared with you just then. And, and don't think in any way that I'm saying, you know, I've arrived with this sense of knowing because the deep mysteries of God are so deep. You know, there's, there's always things that we don't know. But Paul is implying here that as believers, there are things about our salvation and about our Savior that we really should have grabbed a hold of in our lives and really be walking those things out in our lives. You know, I know in our Bible study last week, there was a question where I asked you to write out, you know, what is the gospel? And to use a verse from Romans to do it. And I knew when I wrote that question down that there's probably going to be some people in our study, you know, in this group, maybe online, or people that do this study later, you know, as we publish it, that are going to have a really hard time with that. Because there was a time when I would have had a really hard time with that. And this is what I find. Many Christians cannot biblically articulate their faith. They don't really know what they believe. And they've got these vague, generalized ideas because they've been around it all the time. But they're really lacking the knowledge of what God's word says and how it all fits together. And a lot of times they'll say, I love God. I just don't know how to explain all that together. You know, let the pastor do that or let the teacher. You know, it's just hard for me to do that. And I understand because I used to say the same kind of things. But the more I'm in his word, the more I really believe to love God is to know God. Because you really can't love somebody unless you really know somebody. And how can these truths and principles of Christ really influence the way you live if you don't truly understand them? And even, you know, this was the early days of the church. Hadn't been around a whole lot, many years, and yet Paul was assuming that they should know. And what he's telling them that they should know, it's not one of those surface level things. It's one of the deeper understandings of the faith. And he is assuming as believers, as people who have chosen to embrace this gospel, you should know this. So I believe, ladies, we've got to make sure that we understand what this, what this means when he says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? And so I'm just going to ask you, Not for you necessarily to answer out loud, but just in your heart. Do you really understand what that means? Do you understand being baptized into Christ Jesus and being baptized into his death? If you had to sit down and explain it to somebody from a biblical perspective, could you do that? Do do you really grab a hold of that? And does it frame the way you think about in your daily living? Because Paul says, don't be ignorant about this. (laughs) This is something that is really, really important. And the more I dig into this... I am starting to think it it really is one of the keys of dying to self, of really being able to say so long to self. And so let's look at this phrase that he's, let's just pick it apart, where he says all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. First of all, all of us. The gift of salvation is for everybody. It's for everybody. Paul was writing this to Gentiles, but Paul himself was a Jew. He was a Jew. And we need to make sure that we understand as we're thinking about the gospel, it's for everybody. The Bible says in Romans in chapter 2 that salvation came first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Well, then that's everybody, isn't it? That's everybody. John 3.15 says, whoever believes in him. So all of us, salvation is for all. But I also think he's implying that everybody should know. <laughs> Don't point to the pastor or the teacher or you know, the theologian and say, oh, well, they know. As long as they know, I can just read it in this book, you know. And if I need it. Don't, no, we don't need to think like that. We're supposed to know, too, all of us, okay? Secondly, he says, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, the way Paul says this, to me, implies that a lot of people have been baptized into Christ, 
They don't really understand what it is that they've done. <laughs> you know, they've gone through the ceremony, but they don't really grab a hold of what it is that they've done. They don't know the difference that it should be making in everyday life. It wasn't just something where you get this baptismal certificate and, you know, put it in the baby book or whatever. You know, this is, a, this is something that makes a difference. Did you know that there are actually six kinds of baptisms mentioned in the New Testament? First, you've got John's baptism, which really was a baptism of repentance. And then you have Jesus' baptism. Jesus himself was baptized. You've got believers' baptism, people that express faith in Christ, and they are baptized. You've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's mentioned in the New Testament, the baptism by fire, and the baptism by suffering. All of those baptisms are mentioned in the New Testament. So when Paul says, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, which one is he talking about? (laughs) We need to understand which one he's talking about. I think it's safe to assume that he says, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus. So I think it's safe to assume that we're talking about believers' baptism here. I, I, I think it's very clear. Paul is pointing to believers' baptism. And as you study the scripture, especially in the book of Acts, as you look at people getting saved, most often they always are baptized, usually right after that time. So I think even from that, we can know that Paul is referencing believers' baptism. I want to share with you just from my own personal experience about this as well. I grew up personally in a culture where baptism by immersion, where you take somebody all the way into the water, was talked about a lot. (laughs) That was one thing I did know a lot about. And in one sense, that was awesome. It was great because I got some really, really good teaching about that. And in fact, that was one of the first Greek words I ever learned because they taught us that the word baptizo in the Greek means to immerse. And and that is the word that's used in the New Testament. When you see the word baptism or baptized, that's the word. It's baptizo. And let me tell you what that word means. It means to dip repeatedly, where you do it again and again. It means to immerse, where you take somebody all the way under. It means to wash by dipping or submerging, which is the same thing as immersing. It means to overwhelm. And I, I like this one, too. It means to identify or be made one with. You know, when you take somebody under the water, they literally become one with that water. They're, they're united with that. And that was really good information to know. But there was a downward side of that as well. Because I told you earlier, I had no clue what it really meant to be a Christian when I was a kid. And part of that was because I thought one thing equaled the other. If you were baptized, you were saved. Salvation, baptism. They all went together. In, in the... In the culture that I was in, if you asked somebody if they were a Christian, they said, well, I got baptized when I was 12. You know, it, it, that was the understanding, that when you go under the water, then everything magically changes and you become this Christian person. Now, as I went off to college, you know, college kids start questioning things. <laughs> and I started to question some of that because I started seeing some times where some things didn't seem to line up to me. And I went to a college, and I I was doing some work among some churches that kind of had that same kind of of thinking. And so I started asking questions, which is a really good thing, because, you know, as as a young person growing into an adult, people have got to pack their own faith suitcase, and they've got to decide what it is they believe if they're going to really live out their faith. But I'll never forget this that happened, and it's going to relate to this verse number three. I was at this camp one summer. I was traveling in a music group, and we would go into these different camps and, and, you know, help them do ministry. And there were some kids there that wanted to be baptized that week. And it was great. You know, we were all excited. It was the end of the week, and they had accepted Christ, and they were going to come and be baptized. And I just happened to be standing right in front of this one that was getting ready to be baptized, and this man was there to baptize him. 
Well, he started to take him under the water. And as he did, you know, he, he, he dipped him back under the water to immerse him. Well, this child had kind of a big forehead. And sometimes kids are a little afraid, you know, of going under the water. And so they'll pop back up really quick. So about this much of his head didn't go under the water, you know. And for those of you who can't see me online, it's just like a big circle on his forehead. Well, I was standing, you know, literally right in front of him. Remember, as a college student, I'm in this mode of asking lots of questions and going, what does this really mean, you know? And he brings him up out of the water, and you could see on the man's face, he was just like, he didn't go all the way under, you know, because that was a big deal. You had to take him all the way under. And so immediately, just impulsively, without even thinking, I mean, not a second went by, that he scooped up a bunch of water and threw it on his forehead. (laughs) And I remember standing there in shock, thinking, are you kidding me? I did not just see that. Is it more important that he goes under the water, or is it more important that he has a changed life, that he understands? Because I was beginning to realize that even though I'd been going through these motions for all these years, I didn't have a changed life. And so all these questions were playing around in my mind, and that just raised a really big red flag to me. Because it seemed like he was more interested in taking him all the way under the water. And boy, we can get so caught up in what we think we ourselves have gotten an understanding on, don't we? And then sometimes we'll miss the point of it altogether. Now, I tell you all that so you will know kind of my history, okay? Because that's been a thing that it's been something I've had to work through. Verse number three kind of brings an aha to me. Because I remember being around people who would point to their baptism as an equal to their salvation, but yet I knew things that were going on in their life, and they didn't even seem interested in Jesus, but they would say, oh, I'm a Christian. I got baptized when I was, you know, so-and-so. Now, there were many, many people that I also was around who had, you know, been baptized and been immersed, and they were godly, you know, wonderful Christian people. But I was also seeing these inconsistencies. So, you know what? (laughs) In verse 3, he says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? It seems to me that Paul is seeing the same thing. (laughs) That there are a lot of people who've gone through the ceremony of being baptized, but they haven't really experienced this life change in their life. In fact, in verses 1 and 2, we already saw last week, he already implies that there are some things not matching up when he was asking all of those questions, when he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? What is he implying? There's some people still sinning, you know? And, and when he says, may it never be, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? He's implying that people are still living in sin. People are still walking in open, blatant sin, and yet they've gone through these, these experiences that, that we would all say, you know, are, are equal to salvation, and yet their lives are not matching up. As I've studied baptism, here's one of the things that God has really, really impressed upon my heart. God, our God, is a God who works with pictures and symbols a lot. If you study the Old Testament, every time he does something, you know, monumental, what does he do? Build a monument. Take this and remember it this way. Look at this picture. Tell this to your kids when they ask so you can tell them back so they'll remember what it is I did. Always giving a symbol for things. Baptism is the perfect symbol for what happens in our lives as believers because it is a burial and we are supposed to die to self. But not everyone really understands this, and I didn't for years. That's why Paul says, or do you not know? (laughs) Because so many people really don't get that. 
Charles Spurgeon was a great teacher, theologian. Many people read a lot of his things, even though he's you know, long since gone on to, to heaven. But he writes about different scriptures. And this is what he writes about Romans 6, 3. He says, it would seem that some had been baptized who did not clearly know the meaning of their own baptism. They had faith. They had a glimmer of knowledge sufficient to make them the right recipients of baptism, but they were not well instructed in the teaching of baptism. Perhaps they saw it only as a washing, but they had never discerned the burial. And from my own background with baptism teaching and now from my own study, I want you to know, there's a, and you probably know this already, <laughs> there's a myriad of beliefs out there about baptism, how it should be done, when it should be done, who should do it, you know, who shouldn't do it, why you should, uh, all, all these different things. And, and I would add this for you. I've done a lot of study on it because of my background and because it was one of those things that I really had to press in and know and come to a biblical conviction about where I could understand it and articulate it. But we're not going to get into all of that tonight. I believe that's not the heart of this passage. What we're going to focus on is the heart of this passage. When you hear what Paul is asking, when you look at what he is implying, that many people have been baptized and they don't understand what that means in their lives. When you look at the word baptizo and you understand that it means to immerse, to submerge, to cleanse, to become one with, to overwhelm. Here's the heart of the message of verse 3 to me. If you have chosen to receive the gospel, then your life should be immersed in Jesus. That to me is the heart of verse 3. Our lives, our very lives, every single minute of our life should be immersed into Christ. They should be dipped repeatedly in his grace. They should be washed by him. They should be overwhelmed by him. They should be identified in him. Your life, and this is hard, and some of you said to me this week, boy, this is really hit right here, you know. Your lives should be immersed in the death of Jesus. He says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. You have been immersed into his death. Charles Spurgeon said that many people grab a hold of a little bit of this, just a little bit, that baptism is a cleansing of sin, but it's so much more. What did he say? So many people miss the burial. And it sounds to me that's what Paul's saying too. You cannot come up cleansed if you first don't go under you know you can't be resurrected if you're not buried how can you resurrect something that's not dead (laughs) you know and what is the only reason that you bury something because it's dead that's why and so there is a definite understanding there that we need to have our lives to be immersed in him and that's why it says have been baptized into his death and that's where our focus is really just going to Turn our eyes to Jesus right now so we can think about this for a few minutes. Let's turn our eyes to him, ladies. Jesus died. (laughs) That is not a concept, a philosophy, a history lesson, a theory. It really happened. (laughs) He really died. And people say it was the most painful kind of death ever, ever inflicted. There was not a part of Jesus that didn't experience pain. His whole being was immersed in pain, immersed in pain. The Bible reveals that he shed his blood in seven different places. And as I look at these seven different places, it really reveals to me all the places that he willingly died to self. And I want to go through them with you. These will also be in your notes. The Garden of Gethsemane. 
Okay? You remember what happened there? He died to his will. <laughs> he sweat drops of blood because he was in a battle with, with God. He, it was a temptation. He didn't sin in this. It was a temptation that he didn't want to drink of this cup. But, and he, he talked it out with God, but it was so intense. And sometimes, boy, we feel it's so intense. You know, Hebrews says we've not resisted yet to the point of shedding blood <laughs> when it talks about our discipline. We'll, we'll probably look at that scripture sometime before, <laughs> before this study is over. We haven't gotten to it yet. But he shed his blood, sweating drops of blood as he went through the agony of making this decision. He died to his will. When they put him on the whipping post and they literally beat his back to where it was, you know, just you, you wouldn't have even probably recognized that it was a back. They scourged him. There was not any physical comfort left in his body. None. He died to being physically comfortable. They put a crown of thorns on his head and blood just trickled down his face. And you think about what were they doing with that crown of thorns? They were mocking his authority. Here he was, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and they were saying, ha, you think you're a king. As that blood trickled down his face, he gave up the rights to his authority. He died to them. They, they nailed him to a cross and they put these spikes in his hands and blood flowed out of those places. And Jesus died to his own defense because when your hands are nailed, you cannot defend yourself in any way. They put spikes in his feet and blood flowed out of those places as well. And he died to his freedom because when your feet are nailed to a cross, you can't move and go anywhere that you want to go. You know, the Bible says that he was marred more than any other man. His body was beaten so much and there were bruises all over his body. Well, what is a bruise? It's an inward bleeding, right? Don't you know? (laughs) If he was marred more than any other man, and yet we sing songs that say, beautiful one I love, beautiful Jesus. And yet, here he was. He died to his pride as they stripped him of all of that. And he was so bruised and bloody. And then the last one, they put a spear in his side and the blood and water flowed, and he literally died to life. He gave up his life. Nothing left. And yet, ladies, I read this and I don't even know that I can grasp a hold of this. It's just ringing through my mind all the time. And when it says that I am to be baptized into that death, that means every part of it. I'm to be immersed into that. It's a, our baptism is literally a representation. It is a picture. It's a symbol that God has given us to remember that we are joining him in his death. We're immersed in his death. Our souls ourselves are to be overwhelmed with his death. We're to give up our will like he did. We're to die to our comforts, our rights, our defense, our freedom, our pride, our very lives. All of these parts of ourself are to be died and buried. Jesus did it and we're to be buried in his death. Not in our death, in his death. Wow. I mean, that really makes us look at him and say, how do you do this? How do you die to self like that? According to Paul, we've got to know. We cannot be ignorant of the fact. And when we're sharing Christ with people, we cannot allow them to be ignorant of the fact that they are embracing the death of Christ as well as the resurrection. When people are baptized, what do they usually say? Buried with Christ, raised to new life. That's why they say it. 
because we're supposed to be baptized into his death. It's so easy to focus on the new life, and we should. And you're going to see that Jesus focused on that. Jesus focused on that. In fact, verse 4 takes us to that whole newness of life. But first it mentions some other things. It actually says the same thing that verse 3 does. It says, therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. He's repeating it. Why do you repeat things? (laughs) Because they need to be made clear. (laughs) Okay? And so he repeats that again. He basically says the same thing he's already said. But then he adds more. And and if all we do is focus on the death, I mean, that's just grim, (laughs) isn't it? But there's more that shows the purpose of it all. In fact, the next phrase, and I told you we're going to go phrase by phrase, word by word. The next phrase is in order that. There's a purpose to the death. There was a purpose to Christ's death, and there's a purpose when he calls us to death as well. There's a reason we've been baptized into the death of Jesus. We did it, and this is, as it says here, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. Here comes the good stuff. (laughs) See, Jesus didn't just die. He was raised. And it all happened because of the power, the will, the plan of the Father through the glory of the Father. So let's look at this full phrase. I pulled it apart, but let's look at it all together. Let me just start from the beginning of verse 4. It says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that, that's for the purpose of, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, this is the, this is the wonder of this verse for us, ladies, and what we can grab a hold of too, so we too might walk in newness of life. The idea is that we are immersed, we are submerged, we're made one with not only his death, but what else? His resurrection. And that is the good news. Last week we looked over at Galatians 3, 20. I want to read it for you again. Galatians 3, 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. It doesn't mean that I physically die. (laughs) One day I will. But no, I'm still living in the flesh. But I'm not living according to me. I'm living according to him. But I love over in Galatians 5, 24 and 25, it says this. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, see those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we've crucified the flesh. We've put to death ourselves, the same theme here again, with its passions, its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. With death, there's always, always, always a focus toward life. When Jesus spoke of his coming death, if you read through the Gospels, all the time he keeps saying, this is going to happen to me, but on the third day I'm going to be raised again. He always says that. He's always focused toward the life that's going to come. He knew, he knew, being the all-knowing God, he knew how horrible it was going to be. But he always had a focus to life. Matthew 17, I'll read this for you real quickly. We're going to look at some of these this week in our study. But Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23 This is Jesus speaking. He says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. He's speaking of himself. They will kill him. But he goes on to say, and he will be raised on the third day. There's always this focus toward life. Jesus died. He was resurrected. According to Romans 6, we need to be immersed in his death and then we should be raised up into a newness of life. But keep this in mind. You cannot do that on your own. (laughs) 
I'm not exactly sure how to do it. <laughs> we're, we're digging as we go through. You can't do that on your own. It's through the glory of the Father. But there's another word that I want us to look at real quickly in verse 4. And it is the word might. In this version, it says, so we too might walk in newness of life. Who doesn't want something new? <laughs> but there is an opportunity here for everybody to have something new. Not everybody's going to choose this newness of life. In order to have the newness of life, you've got to have the death first because you can't raise something up that's not dead. You can't resurrect something that's not dead. So you've got to be willing to be baptized into his death. So there's this idea of might. But you think about newness of life. I think back to that, you know, about a month ago when we did take my daughter to school. And, you know, everything was new. And she was going down to sunny Florida with palm trees and flowers. And it was beautiful. And, you know, and I started looking around. And I'm thinking, ooh, I, I like it here. And, you know, she had all this new stuff for her room and all this possibility of new friends and new classes and new experiences and new church. and Everything was new. And I, I was feeling like, ooh, I really like it here. I think I'd like to go back to college. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'd like to, I'd like to move in. And, you know, and all that's mixed up with mom grief and all of that. But I came back and as I was talking to some of the other moms who've been through the same thing, they all said the same thing. They were thinking, I'd like to go to college. I'd like to do this again. And all that it is, is this idea of new, something fresh, something new. Everybody wants something new. When you think about something being new, it's, it's hopeful, there's, there's nothing sullied about it, you know? It's bright. It's clean. It's full of new experiences. What does newness of life look like, though? What does that mean? The word newness is the word K-A-I-N-O-T-E-S. K-A-I-N-O-T-E-S. And it's a new state of life in which the Holy Spirit comes alive in us again. It's that new state of life. Because if you go on where it says newness of life, the word life is the word zoe, Z-O-E. And that is the life of God. You think about people who don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. They're not a Christian. They know some of God. I mean, that's how they got to the point that they decided they wanted to become a believer, right? I mean, you in their life with Christ shining out of you has had some influence on them. They've had some experience of God. They've seen other people or, you know, gone to a church. They've been influenced by God. But they've not been on this new level of God that God's going to take them to when he comes alive in them because now God's not going to be out here. God's going to be in here. There's this whole new possibility of everything that God can do in their life. All these manifestations of how God can display himself in your life. There's all these possibilities. Nothing is, is off limits now. You know, in the Bible, it says that all the promises of God are yes to us in Christ Jesus. So now that God lives within us, there is endless possibility of what God can do in your life. And there's no end to it because he's never going to die. He lives within you. You're never going to die. There's always this newness, this newness of life that's bubbling up like Jesus talked about in the book of John when he was talking to the woman. They said, you know, this newness of life will come bubbling up in you. And it's this idea of God just manifesting himself in new and fresh ways all the time. Who doesn't want to be resurrected to that? I mean, that's incredible. That gives us all kinds of power over thinking like the world and living like the world and behaving like the world. The old self is gone. It's not even thought about anymore because it's in the grave. You've got this newness within you and there's nothing that's off limits to you. I just think that's incredible. You know, it might even look like some things like this where other people complain 
not you. Because you can rejoice because you know who God is. You know what he can do. You know the power he has. Where other people despair, not you. Because you've got God within you, you can have hope. You may not can explain what the hope is going to look like and how the situation would ever, ever work out, but you have hope because the Spirit of God lives within you. When other people indulge, not you, you've learned the benefit of discipline because God lives within you and He can bring about a new discipline. Even if He hasn't yet, He can and you can focus on that. When other people are thinking on all this worldly garbage, not you, because you have the Spirit of God in you. Bringing out this newness and other people are worshiping self, but you've realized long ago, no, self is in the grave. (laughs) You know, you buried that a long time ago. Your focus is on the Lord and what he's going to do and the new things, this newness of life. Manifestations of a resurrected new life are impossible to fully describe. But when someone has been immersed into the death of Christ, we'll get into this next week. (laughs) It's a certain thing. (laughs) When we're immersed... He's going to raise us up to new life. But that idea of might is there, I think, because a lot of times people don't embrace the burial. (laughs) And so we have that choice of whether or not we're going to do that. I was sitting in church the other day, and we were getting ready to have communion. And something just flooded over my soul. I had been meditating on Romans 6, you know, quite a bit. And um, just having my ear open to the Lord for some insight and some wisdom that only he gives. And, and I want you to know the things that I'm sharing with you are just things that he's putting into my heart and, and as I'm meditating and seeking his face. So I wasn't surprised when this whole new thought just came over me that really was related to Romans 6. And I want to share it with you. I grew up having communion every Sunday. That's just one of the things that, that we do. And, and it is a big blessing. But as I was growing up, I was taught, what do you do, okay, when you're going to sit here and get ready to receive communion? You're always, I was always taught that you need to think on the death of Christ, and you need to be thankful for that. So that has been the backdrop for my whole experience of having communion every Sunday for literally since I was probably five years old. And that's the backdrop. When I bow my head for communion, you know, and that has grown over the years and and become um, just, you know, much broader in the scope of how I know how to be thankful. But that is what I do, is I try to think on the death of Christ. And even as I went through times where I thought, oh, it's more spiritual if you can cry about it, you know, or, or, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, everybody does that, you know, but it's like singing around the choir or the campfire, kumbaya, and how, how much can you cry, you know, but all those, I mean, you go through all those things, but that's just been the backdrop of my experience of having communion. But I bowed my head to get my heart ready, to get my heart thankful for the death of Christ, to remember what that meant for some of the things I'd been dealing with that week. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, and he said, all your life, Sharon, you've been thankful for the death of Christ, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, I want you to know, I'm not just asking you to be thankful for it. I'm asking you to join in it. And it just literally just made me stop right where I was. I mean, I, I couldn't hardly breathe because I thought, wow, <laughs> there's a big difference, You know, we sing about the cross, and we love the cross, and we're thankful for the cross. But according to Paul, he says, do you not know? (laughs) You've been baptized into Christ Jesus. You've been baptized into his death. We're supposed to join him in this thing. We're supposed to go beyond being thankful. We're supposed to be thankful. It's the most incredible thing that's ever happened. But boy, we're supposed to join in it. 
I read to you last week out of this book, The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of some prayers by the Puritans. And I've just been struck at how they're so similar, even though the language is different, so similar to the cries of our heart. And I wanted to read this one for you too. It says, O Lord, I marvel that thou shouldst become incarnate, be crucified, dead, and buried. Give me to die with thee that I may rise to new life. For I wish to be as dead and buried to sin, to selfishness, to the world, that I might not even hear the voice of the charmer and might be delivered from his lust. O Lord, there is much ill about me. Crucify it. Much flesh within me. Mortify it. Purge me from selfishness, the fear of man, the love of approbation, the shame of being thought old-fashioned, the desire to be cultivated or modern. Let me reckon my old life dead because of the crucifixion and never feed it as a living thing. Grant me more and more of the resurrection life. May it rule me. May I walk in its power and be strengthened through its influence. The heart of that prayer. That's what I want to say. And I'll be honest with you, I had to look up a couple of those words. I didn't understand them all either, you know. And they'll be in your notes and you can look at that. But just to pray that, you know, I don't want to even hear the voice of the charmer. I don't don't want to feed this, this life that I've said I've gotten rid of. I don't want to keep feeding it. You know, we need to pray about these things and ask the Lord to deal with us in these things that we might join him in his death. It makes me think back to the story of that boy that was baptized and his forehead wasn't covered yet. Now, personally, although I, I think it's a little bit silly to have done what he did, and I don't, I don't know the heart of that person, and so, you know, that was just where I was as a young college student questioning and, you know, trying to figure some things out. But I'll tell you this about that story, as I've thought about it some more this week, even though I do think that part was silly about the throwing up the water on the head. Poor little boy, probably saying, what are you doing to me, you know? But it makes me wonder how much of me is still exposed to the world and not immersed in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It made me start thinking, I thought, do I still have an arm sticking out of the grave, you know, that wants to just kind of still do its own thing? Just one little arm, God, you know, or some brain cells that are hanging out above the burial site because they just want to think this way, even though I know God is, that's not his plan. Or maybe one of my feet is sticking out because I've got places that I want to go that I know God doesn't want me to go. This idea of immersion is a deep thought and and no pun intended i mean you go deep under the water everything covered but it is a deep thought and paul says we're supposed to know it (laughs) do you not know don't be ignorant about it and it's not just an ignorant in what you know in your brain it's ignorant about how you live it out in your life but it also got me thinking about this about our technological world See, some people think that we're supposed to be, or some people think that we are immersed into technology these days. And in all honesty, the more I thought about it with myself, I thought, you know, some people could think that about me from the surface. Now, people that really know me and know how ignorant I am about most technology, I try to use it, but I really don't understand it most of the time. You know, but they could think that about me because I have a lot of the stuff, you know. I've got an iPod. I've got a computer. Actually, I have two computers because I'm still trying to get some stuff transferred from one to the other. I've got this um, printer that's actually a copier and a scanner, and so I just kind of call it the thingamajiggy, you know. I've got a BlackBerry. I have a digital camera. I have a Wii at my house. I've got a DVD player in my house. I have one in my car, not necessarily because I wanted one, but the other people in the family won. And, you know, I've got all this stuff. (laughs) But you know what? 
I wanted the red van. The red van didn't have the DVD player, but we ended up with the blue van. So anyway, that doesn't matter. I, I, I gave up myself on that one, and I said, go ahead. <laughs> one time. But you know what? <laughs> I'm not really immersed into those things. I'm really not. I'm not totally covered in those things because I don't really understand those things. And I've got the manuals sitting in a cabinet somewhere at home, all dusty that I haven't really looked at. I could figure those things out, and I could immerse myself in them. The possibility is there. There is the might. But I have said no. (laughs) I don't want to be totally immersed into those things. And so it is with many, many believers. We got all the stuff. (laughs) We're around it all the time. But we're not totally immersed in the death of Jesus. And if we haven't been buried, it's very hard to be resurrected. But don't we know this, ladies? Don't we know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in what? Newness of life. We're going to sing a song. It's an old song. Probably many of you know it. I grew up singing it. I didn't mean it for many, many years. And every time I sing it now, I have to really think, do I really mean this? I surrender all. Do I really mean that? (laughs) Am I really willing to immerse myself? Thank you all for your listening ears, your hearts, that I can just tell by the look on your faces are wanting, desiring to say so long self. (laughs) 